walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, in this art he is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paying more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. 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 What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring is back and. Diggity dog, we're brawling. We're brawling today, folks. Folks, brawling. And I'm not talking about that one I struggle to take off. I'm talking about the kind of that that happens in the the autumn the autumn season here. Of brawls, autumn, fall brawl, 1994, <laughs> from Roanoke. Virginia, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from all, uh, from all hard boy over here. Occurred on September eighteenth, nineteen ninety four, and if you have been following the WCW series on the apron bump, you know that we are fresh off of Bash at the Beach ninety four. Bash at the Beach, which, by the way, if you haven't. Listen to that episode. I would strongly suggest you check that out because that is, uh, you can make an argument that that's the biggest event that WCW ever had. You can make that argument. Um, definitely the biggest event that they had had up to that point for sure. That there is no argument, no argument at all because simply because that is the in-ring debut of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that's Hulk Hogan. The, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the 24-inch pythons, dude. We're gonna, we're gonna eat your milk and drink your vitamins, brother. You ready for the, you ready for the red and yellow? You ready, you ready for your daughter not dating black guys? You ready, brother? Yeah, that one. That, uh, (laughs) You ready, brother? You ready? Well, go fuck yourself, dude, because I'm not here. Just uh, (laughs) in the mind, just putting you in the mindset here of what these uh, what these Roanokians are feeling watching this show because they probably want Hulk Hogan and they get Hulk Hogan via satellite. (laughs) No booze will be had there, I'm sure. No booze from the crowd. Definitely not an overwhelming amount of booze when that was announced, but you can make that being said, right? I think it's been confirmed by Eric Bischoff himself that at this point, Hogan was only contracted for 
four matches per year. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. We do get into that in the podcast here as far as whether that was a good move or not. Personally, I think there is value in establishing a guy, especially like Hulk Hogan was at this time, establishing him as an attraction rather than a guy that you bring out every week and you you just run him into the ground to the point where nobody cares about him anymore. Sting. And, you know, so we get into that <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, but other than Hogan, we got uh, lots of shit happening. War, uh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> War games! And we have, uh, so yes, we have the Stud Stable, which is a team of uh, Arn Anderson, Terry Funk, Bunkhouse Buck, and Colonel Parker facing off against Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys. What a cast of characters. <laughs> Man, but uh, yeah, a lot of rednecks just hitting each other with metal objects and falling in between uh, the rings, or at least that was just one guy. But uh, <laughs> so we got War Games, we got Hogan, we got a moment that may have been the catalyst for Steve Austin leaving WCW and therefore changing the course of history. We have a really dramatic match between Sting and Vader. And, you know, Buff, Buff Bagwell's there, too. So, it, it, there's a little something for everybody here. <laughs> but, yeah, really fun episode here. And I had uh, James from That 90s Wrestling Podcast to join me on here. You can find his podcast on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Uh, you can follow him at 90s Wrestling Pod on Twitter or at That 90s Wrestling Podcast on Instagram. All his info will be below in the description, as always. And uh, yeah, really great podcast over there by James. And doesn't even charge you a thing. So <laughs> no, but it was a lot of fun having him on here. I appreciate the time that he took to uh, watch the show and record this with me as I do all my guests. So let's get right into it. WCW Fall Brawl 1994 with myself and James from That 90s Wrestling Podcast. Mixed opinions on the show. Uh, different, because I haven't watched it before. So, uh, different. So, a lot of early 90s WCW, especially during this time, I never actually watched. So, it was nice to see a show I haven't actually watched, because um, I had an idea what how a couple of the results went, which I'll get into as well. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice to see like a, a show I haven't actually seen before. Yeah, so yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I think we talked about it last time, but you were more of a WWF guy, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, always WWE. So um, I, I still today I am. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I guess because really the whole like backstory to the show is uh, Hulk Hogan because he, uh, he made his pay-per-view debut at the last pay-per-view, Bash at the Beach. So he's right. still uh, very fresh um, to WCW. Just won the world title. I mean, it was pretty much his first match. Um, <laughs> strap the rocket to him right away. I mean, you might as well. Um, but you, as a as a young WWF watcher, you I would assume were a big Hulk. You're you're a big Hulkamaniac, weren't you? Uh, yes, yeah, so Hulk Hogan. So yeah, uh, so I was born '89, and um, like so, I first started watching wrestling in '93, '92, maybe when I was about. 
three or four year old and uh my father was a fan so he had tapes like from 89 and 90 so i remember watching hogan but i was never the biggest hogan fan because uh, I, I liked hogan and that uh, like i loved hogan when he was in the rocky three uh thunderlips right. <laughs> <laughs> well who didn't i watched it again the other night he was so fucking good in that film uh, <laughs> but yeah and uh but i was always like more for the ultimate warrior and the matcha man and when Bret Hart came along. That's where I started. That's where I pinned my flag, so you will. Um, but yeah, uh, so, but I suppose like, like for a lot of people who was up to date with the product at the time, like Hogan joining the competition, uh, I, I can imagine it was such a big deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so, so was it a big deal to you as somebody who at least you, you might not have liked Hogan, but you're still very familiar with him and he was still like, that he, he represented what WWF was at the time. So it must have been straight because I was only one years old when this was happening. So I had no concept of it, honestly. But did you, was it like a shock to you when Hogan went to WCW? It, it's weird because I didn't see his baby face run in WCW. When I realized Hogan was in WCW was when he was NWO. Right. And it, it, it's weird. Like I'm trying to like uh, go back in time because. Like I said, I was a little bit behind on the videotapes and things like that. And, like, I remember, I had WrestleMania 9, and obviously that was kind of like one of Hogan's last appearances in WWE. And I noticed the difference. I was like, oh, where Hogan went. And I knew that he was doing movies, like uh, Three Ninja Kids at High Mountain Thunder, whatever oh, it was called. Mr. Nandy and Thunder in Paradise. Yeah, and uh, what was the other movie? Yeah. What's the other movie done really early on? Um, I didn't Suburban. know he had so many. Ah, oh, Suburban Commander with the Undertaker in. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and but I, I knew he done a lot of films. And when it was time to get like the video games, I remember my dad bringing me back home. Um, it was for my birthday. I think I must have been about eight or nine. Might have been younger. And he brought back WCW NWO Revenge, which is one of the greatest wrestling games of all time. And I yeah. was like. But it was weird because, like, oh, Hulk Hogan's in this. Oh, Bret Hart's in this. And it was all weird. Yeah, it must have been, like, 97. And, oh, Jim Dian von Neidart's in this. thought it was a crossover <laughs> of some sort. Yeah, like, I had no idea. But then I started getting access to WCW. And um, so, and um, I'm, I, I must have got, yeah, I must have watched WCW before I got that game because uh, I remember stinging that. And, uh, yeah, seeing him over in WCW was quite weird for me. But... I missed this babyface run, if you can call it a babyface run, because we'll watch it. And right. he, was, he was getting booze then. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> We're going to get right into that, man. Yeah, because like, because Hulk Hogan, I mean, even in WWF, he was, people were starting to turn on him a little bit. Um, yeah. Because he had been on top for so long and he was kind of doing the same stuff over and over again. Naturally, people are going to get fatigued with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's no wonder, you know, he kind of comes to WCW and does more or less the same thing. And uh, keeps continuing those boos, even though it's under a different banner. Um, <laughs> but one thing I thought was interesting, and which I actually kind of liked, is that even though they brought Hogan in and they put the title on him right away, they still kind of treated him as an attraction yeah. rather than kind of a, a reoccurring guy. Because I believe it was on 83 Weeks I listened to a while ago, uh, Eric Bischoff said that Hogan was only contracted for four matches a year. That's right. So, um, and I, I kind of, cause he's, he's obviously, I mean, he's far and above anybody else that's on the roster at the time. So I think it's kind of cool to leave him 
like whenever he does have a match, it, it would feel special. I mean, I think that's even a concept that maybe can be taken advantage of more today. Even like Roman Reigns kind of in the same kind of ballpark, even more or less, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, you could say so because uh, you're exactly right with the. Um... Yeah, I mean, he had, he had a sweet gig. It's kind of what you would say is the Brock Lesnar gig in a way. Um, only show up for so many matches a yeah. year, get paid stupid amounts of money and uh, putting in very little work. And uh, like, we'll get into that tonight, like when he's doing these promos, which I found hilarious. Um, but yeah, he was he was an attraction. I mean, and I know he's a, a lot of people, you know, he's not Mr. Popular at the minute. Uh, and I don't think he'll ever will be again. But back then, like obviously he was, getting uh, booed but he was still Hulk Hogan you know he's the biggest right. of all time in wrestling without Hulk Hogan there, there wouldn't be wrestling on TV in my opinion it'll be like the circus just going around towns and villages that's what I personally believe it would be like so we have to be thankful for Hogan obviously he said some questionable things now which I don't appreciate what he said but mm -hmm. you know that's for another topic but end of the day it was Hulk Hogan and during the early 90s he was still the main man in wrestling yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the few shows before Hogan got there, and it was like, it was rough, man. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen like Spring Stampede '94 or Slamboree '94, but man, you got like Barry Windham versus Ric Flair in the main event. You got a uh, lot of Johnny B. Bad, even though we're not <laughs> spared of him on this show either. But <laughs> honestly, man, I think we should. I, well, while we're talking about Hogan, I know this kind of happens towards the end, but I kind of, I, I really want to get into that promo. Uh, <laughs> I I I I I just I don't know if you found it the same way, but when I watched, it, I thought, "Why is Hulk Hogan so camp?" Dude, <laughs> and, and for for Hogan to be camp, that's yeah. saying something. First, okay, well, so, so the show opens up with uh, kind of like you know Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan laying out the laying out the show. Then they throw it to Mean Gene Okerlund, who uh, basically gives the rundown for what is going to happen on this show for, for the audience that's there in attendance. Yeah. And he mentions that Hogan is going to be there via satellite. <laughs> <laughs> so, and wouldn't you know it, the crowd is not pleased. So many boos. They were not happy about that. Um, but, you know, much later in the show, I mean, it's like right before the main event, I think, there is a uh, this via satellite promo happens yeah and hulk hogan is at the gym because you know he's hulk hogan <laughs> and uh is a really nice bold shot of hogan at uh, sitting at the uh the shoulder press machine or whatever it was oh yeah <laughs> if he, he finishes a set uh jimmy hart's there for some reason he didn't need to be there um and then hogan grabs a phone which you're a little older than i am so maybe you can answer me this was there ever a point in time where gyms had hardline phones right next to workout machines? Uh, not to my knowledge. <laughs> well, I tell you what I did find. I oh, sorry. I tell you what I did find funny though. Did you enjoy seeing Jimmy Hart's uh, t-shirt where his sleeve rolled up? I didn't like it. I, I had the opposite of enjoyment. What, what to, was it? To show off his muscles. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to be fair, anybody standing next to Hulk Hogan is going to look pretty flaccid, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, this like, so the whole thing here is Hogan's in the gym. He's, try, he's trying to portray, you know, working hard, getting prepared for his, his next match, whenever that is. And um, he's going to face Ric Flair. Or I guess, I guess the challenge hasn't been made 
thus yet, but basically a clash of champions, which was a few weeks before this, he was going to face Ric Flair, but he got attacked by a masked man. Yeah. <laughs> mysterious masked man, um, who I think was Brutus the Barber Beefcake eventually. All right. But then, so he attacked Hogan's leg at the clash. Uh, but Hogan still ended up facing Flair that night, but ended up losing via countout. So he retained his title, uh, but he lost. So now we have a situation where Ric Flair is kind of claiming that he's the real world champion, even though technically Hogan is still champion. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. So we're back here. Hogan's in the gym. He's sweaty. Hardline phone. He calls. <laughs> I forget if he calls Flair or Flair calls him, but him and Flair start talking on the phone. And Ric Flair, he's sitting there at a table in Vegas at some bar. You know, the classic heels partying, baby faces, working out, working all that shit. And, uh, dude, this promo had to be at least 10 minutes long. And yeah, it, was. it really just ultimately was, hey, I challenge you at the next pay-per-view to a career versus career match. Yeah, and that was pretty much it. I don't know. What did, what did you think about the whole thing? Like I said, like it was just so calm. I loved it when he was talking to one of uh, Ric Flair's accomplices, uh, one of the ladies who sat with accomplices. And, yeah, and he was, yeah. and she was like, "Oh, God. I forgot what she said exactly." But he was like, uh, "She's like, yeah, he's been getting plenty of workout." And he's like, "Oh yeah, brother, I bet you've been giving work with those mashed potato arms." And he was, uh, "You've been working <laughs> this way, haven't you?" And I was like, "Why is Kogan so camp tonight?" Um, yeah. But, and I loved it, and it's the first time I've ever seen Hogan. Well, it's probably not the first time, but for a dueling promo, like Ric Flair, like Trent Hogan, like he was a bum. He was like, "Yeah, you wait there," and he actually made Hogan like wait for him while Flair's talking to all these beautiful women and that. I found it hilarious. Like Ric Flair just schooled him so much, and uh, my favorite bit at the end. <laughs> After the call, when Hogan was like, shh, don't tell anyone, Gene, but knees all better. I'm like, you're on fucking pay-per-view, Hogan. I <laughs> 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 can see you. <laughs> He's so... Because like you said, there are periods where Hogan was like waiting for Flair to talk, but he was still sitting there like being Hulk Hogan. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like he, this whole promo, he's still, oh, let me tell you something, dude. <laughs> all that shit for, for the whole thing. I've, I, If nothing else, I applaud Hogan for having the energy <laughs> he, he was sweating but i think all that sweat is from him being hulk hogan for that long <laughs> yeah it was uh for what it, i know it was 10 minutes uh, to be thankful i was actually thankful it was a long promo because i knew in fact the war games match was after this and i was looking at the war games counter i thought right there's 40 minutes of this war games match right there's only 30 minutes of this war games match so i was actually thankful for this promo because yeah because uh, i it was it was fun it was camp uh, i actually enjoyed it, it was one of my uh, I, it, like it's Hogan being Hogan and Flair being Flair, but for what it was, I actually enjoyed, it was probably one of the highlights of this show. I actually did actually enjoy it, but yeah, it was just it was you couldn't help but just laugh when you was watching it. Exactly, yeah, it was entertaining if nothing yeah. else. Yeah, and I guess it, <laughs> it's all that matters in the end. But uh, so yeah, that happens at the end. But let's circle back to the beginning. Uh, opening match, we have the uh, WCW Television Title on the line. And as per usual, I don't know if you're familiar, but every goddamn WCW pay-per-view starts out with Johnny B. Bad. I've heard. I, I've heard. It. Uh, I used to listen to... I, I don't really get... I'd, you know, now, fat, like, I do podcasts on myself, and I listen to, like, your podcast and, like, friends' podcast now. I don't really get much time to listen to, like, 
what happened when or 83 weeks that much anymore because I, I rather support my fellow content creators, if that same makes here. sense. Yeah, same uh, But when, they, uh, when I did used to listen to it, like, and I used to run through these WCW shows, yeah, Johnny V. Bad was like, <laughs> on, it, used, it was Johnny V. Bad and DDP for a lot of them. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it would was, it was, be a, a little longer before DDP figured out what his fucking gimmick was. But uh, so, yeah, we have Johnny B. Bad versus Lord Steven Regal, who is the champ here. What do you think of his powdered wig? Yeah, uh, I love it. I'll uh, Tony Schiavone, who I don't like. Uh, I love it how he thought that the English actually plays cricket in the wig. I'm like, yes, Tony, because <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? A powdered fucking wig. When a ball's going sixty miles towards your head, <laughs> I I love the idea that Tony Schiavone is making like a kind of a side remark about cricket, and you, like a true British person, are getting all heated watching this. Like you oh, can't play cricket in a wig, and I don't even fucking like cricket, which is <laughs> <laughs> the irony. But um, yeah, yeah, it was good. And uh, did you know who uh, Sir William was who accompanied him? Uh, I don't. Uh, he's a, he was a quite a big name in Memphis, uh, Bill Dundee, and uh, he wrestled a lot around the circuit with like Jerry Lawler. But uh, he, I would imagine you was an attitude era kid. Um, so his son was Jamie Dundee. Uh, do you remember Nation of Domination? Yeah. Uh, do you remember PG Thirteen? He used to wrap the ring for him. <laughs> oh, I don't. That's like I think that's like right before I started watching. <laughs> so this is like the beginning of Nation. This is like night, right. late night, night seven, but. They used to be like these two little small white guys, and they used to wrap to, uh, towards the ring for the nation domination. <laughs> they looked so out. Of, but then again, this was the nation when we had Crush and Savio, so it wasn't like an all black male like faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were still discovering what they wanted to be, and like there was these two like they were, like twelve year olds, and they used to wrap towards the ring. Well, uh, Jamie Dundee, who was part of the tag team, he was actually son of Bill Dundee, who's Sir William. But yeah, he was actually like a big name in the Memphis territory. Um, but one yeah. thing we did forget to mention was uh, Johnny B. Baddy's uh, glitter gun, and I couldn't help but the way he got it positioned, I can't help but think it was a euphemism for something else. <laughs> there is so much going on with Johnny B. Bad. I like <laughs> glitter, pyro, it's like coming out of his shoulders. There's more pyro behind him. Yeah. It's like all over the floor during the whole It's It's so much, and he's so like, he's like beyond tan. Like he's. Uh, I mean, he's, he's like they say, he looks like Little Richard. That's how the that's what the gimmick is based on. And man, I don't think that's okay. Now <laughs> I mean, any more tan? Uh, sorry if this is controversial, but I'm saying it's a comedy. Any more like bronze or tan, he would basically be doing blackface. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I said the exact same thing last in my last podcast with him on it, and it's like, God, man, this is like, what are you doing? But whatever it is, I mean. You know, all that ridiculous stuff, he's still looking chiseled as fuck. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, great look. And, um, like, when WWE signed him, like, they didn't realize they couldn't have the Johnny B. Bad character. And, uh, but, yeah, man, he was shredded. And uh, for what it was, this was a – I thought this was a really good match. I don't know if that was because big part of it was due to Regal, who's one of the most underrated workers of all time. But I I actually really enjoyed this match, believe it or not. <laughs> I've actually been watching a good amount of Regal recently, and there's just like, you know, he didn't really have those matches, those like five star matches generally, but there is like all these little things that he does, yeah, like the uh, the mannerisms, his facials, um, the way he walks, he, he walks like an asshole. 
Oh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if that's all, how all you British people walk. But <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you all wear powdered wigs to the grocery store and shit, right? That, that's um, how I imagine this going on over there. I, I love it when I speak to Americans because, um, like, I, and I forgot I mentioned this to the other day. I think I had, like, a, um, a British wrestler on it. And I'm like, I love how Americans think we all speak the Queen's English. And I'm thinking, <laughs> let, let them let them spend a week up in uh, Burnley or Manchester and see what the real UK is like. It's not pretty. <laughs> hey, I've seen Eurotrip, okay? I'm familiar. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, great movie and a great match here, as you said. Uh, Johnny be bad. He, you know, he was always opening these shows because he could always give you at least an okay match. Um, yeah. Really give energy, uh, pump the crowd up a little bit, and like like you said, really technical um, on both sides, really. Because um, you know that's whole that's Regal's whole thing, and Johnny be bad was trying to match him, and ultimately uh, Regal goes for a European uppercut, and then Johnny be bad counters into a backslide pin and gets the one two three. And Johnny B. Bad wins his first singles title in WCW. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, like you said, really good match. And I think Regal after this goes on to form a uh, a team called the Blue the Blue Bloods with yeah. Jean Paul Levesque. Oh, what what happens? What happened to that guy? <laughs> I was gonna make the same joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that'll be interesting to see. But uh, what happens after this? So. Yeah, after that, we get a video package, which is what we talked about earlier about the masked man uh, attacking Hogan, so setting the stage for uh, the, the promo at the end of the show. Um, One thing I, I wrote down, and I couldn't help but think of it, but you know when Hogan was making his entrance and he had Jimmy Hart and he had Brutus Beefcake with him, like his entourage, for some reason, I couldn't help but think of Cody Rhodes. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? It's like, Pyros, he's got his entourage around him. I'm thinking, well, I know where Cody Rhodes has got his new gimmick from. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, don't let Cody Rhodes know you compared him to Hulk Hogan. Well, I've just had a email from AEW, so I hope he doesn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, last time I had you on, I think Nick Aldis mess- messaged you, and now you're getting yeah. by AEW. I think you, at what point do you start giving me credit? Oh man, uh, you're my lucky charm, to be honest. So uh, I'm definitely giving you uh, <laughs> all the credit. <laughs> we send people to the moon here on the apron bump. Uh, <laughs> but goddamn. So speaking of otherworldly, we have Cactus Jack versus Kevin Sullivan in a loser leaves WCW match. Who? Um, so <laughs> Cactus Jack, I mean, previous to this show, he had been in a lot of street fights and crazy really like ahead of its time kind of matches taking crazy bumps um sick weapons shots and all that that was kind of becoming his thing yeah um and i think you know if you know if rumors are true that's kind of what led to him getting uh let go from wcw eventually is that he was being too reckless and stuff like that because he would go on to ecw after this and yeah carve a whole new story over there and then um so yeah, this is obviously his last match. Uh, spoiler alert! But <laughs> the match itself, you, know, you have Mick Foley and Kevin Sullivan in 1994. It's pretty much exactly what you would expect. Um, it's uh, the the one spot that got me, man, was where um, so they I think Foley undid the mat on the floor, so he exposed the concrete. Yeah. Um, he's gonna do like an elbow drop onto Kevin Sullivan from the second rope to the outside. But Kevin Sullivan gets up and just th- throws Cactus Jack from the second rope 
to the concrete floor. Brutal. Yeah, it was. Uh, this was not a pretty match. It was, uh, like you said, just uh, brutal. And um, you can see, like, the pre-Hogan and, like, current Hogan um, days of WCW, like, when Hogan came in, and we'll see it, like, during the show, like, he brought a lot of his friends, but the style of WCW completely changed and like yeah. Cactus Jack uh, just didn't fit in with this new era so yeah uh, but yeah some crazy uh, a few crazy bumps in this match <laughs> yeah I mean it was it was also fresh off of uh, Foley losing his ear that's right like a, yeah a few months after so they, oh, I did like the whole deal where Sullivan was like targeting his ear because that's like a real thing that happened and it made sense uh, in the context of this match uh, but towards the end, they, they have a steel chair that they're fighting over. I should also mention that Dave Sullivan is out there with Kevin. So Kevin Sullivan has the chair. He's in the ring with the chair. He's about to hit Cactus Jack with it. But Dave Sullivan grabs the chair. He's like, no, 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 don't hit him with it. And then as they're like fighting with the chair, the Sullivans are. Cactus Jack tries to attack Kevin. But Kevin moves out of the way, hits Dave. And then Kevin is able to capitalize by rolling up Cactus Jack for the one, two, three and a pretty brutal, but quick match and uh, kind of an unceremonious exit for Foley here. I think. Yeah. um, Like I watched it and uh, yeah, quick. And like afterwards I was like, Oh, it wasn't really that special. Like when I saw Cactus Jack come out, I thought, Oh, this should be all right. And I know Kevin, uh, Kevin Sullivan, like his matches were Benoit, which they were pretty brutal matches and definitely worth a watch. Um, that's if you know. That's if people can stomach a Chris Benoit match these days. Um, but they are pretty hard hit matches. But yeah, it was just like a you know, it was like a blur. I was like, well, that's like Foley gone out of WCW, never to return again. And uh, yeah, and obviously, like you said, made his way towards ECW and uh, done some great stuff over there to, before finally making it to the big time, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's crazy knowing in hindsight the legend that they had and they just didn't know at the time. I mean, how could you? I mean, I don't think well, anybody would have guessed the success Foley would go on to have. I mean, we'll go, we'll go through the show and like the, even uh, the next couple of seconds we'll see like the you know the people what we'll see who got released rather straight away or within a few months and how they went on to become in about two years time even. Yeah, that that's why I love like kind of revisiting this time period is because you got all of that throughout the whole industry. You know, you yeah. got WCW going to WWF and vice versa. And then you got ECW there with, you know, as a kind of a middle ground between those two. It's just a really volatile time in wrestling. It's really interesting to see like you know, even like Dustin Rhodes, uh, Steve Austin, yeah. uh, among others that are just going to be flipping back and forth and becoming huge stars. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... It's, uh, we could do with more of it these days, really. Uh, I mean, I know AEW's about now, and the f- there hasn't really been, like, in my opinion, like, the WWE stars, what's gone over to AEW, like, besides, uh, obviously, the late Brody Lee, he, he was doing really well before he sadly passed away, but, and Moxley's done well, but when you look at Miro, like, Rusev, I'm, like, I'm thinking he's no better off than what he was WWE, and uh, Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, it doesn't get talked about, but like they completely botched him. He had literally like two matches, and then he got sacked straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's what it's doing. It's really kind of showing because a lot of guys go to WWE, don't see a lot of success there, and then kind of blame it on the on the business and blame it on the the powers that be. So when they get these opportunities, that's their chance to shine. And when they maintain like how 
like you brought up Zack Ryder, like yeah, maybe it was the booking, maybe not. But I, I personally have been, you know, pretty indifferent on Zack Ryder. Yeah. With the roster that AEW has, I don't know if he is someone that deserves the spotlight more than others they have. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I think imp- it's it's weird because Impact in a way is kind of like DCW today in a way, uh, and mm-hmm. AEW's WCW. They probably don't want to hear that, but they are. Um, <laughs> WWE, and I feel like Impact's been using the XWE stars better, like Eric Young and even Brian Myers. Uh, he's actually looking okay over there. And Gianna Perazzo is Blackout's champion. I actually feel like they've been doing a better job with the XWE stars than what AEW has been. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 different. I mean, I I I I don't disagree. Um, but I think Impact has less uh, talent than AEW does, so it's probably more competition. Yeah, like within the company on the AEW side, but yeah, definitely agree. People like Deanna Perrazzo, Eric Young, even like Rich Swan, who yeah. people probably at this point forget that he was an ex WWE guy, um, the world champion over there. So yeah, I love what they're all doing over there. But um, man, I don't know how you transition from Impact to uh, Bunkhouse Buck. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I I just wanted to note this this backstage segment right here because. Man, it was hilarious. It was the uh, the stud stable, which is comprised of Colonel Parker, Bunkhouse Buck, uh, Terry Funk, Ming, and uh, Arn Anderson. Yeah. Just a lot of nonsensical babbling in this promo. <laughs> I could listen to Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck talk all day, I think. Yeah, when I when I did see these guys, I thought, right, you ain't winning. I did. I, I didn't know who they was facing in war games. I knew it was uh, Dusty and Dustin, but I forgot he was teaming with. Uh, but when I saw this uh, this group, I was like, yeah, you ain't winning tonight. Oh, <laughs> um, so you're telling me that they didn't properly articulate what their intentions were. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get out of the cage, uh, Dustin Rhodes. Uh, it's five minutes of that. I'll tell you who uh, Haku or Meng reminded me of as well. Have you ever seen the... Was you a Jean-Claude Van Damme fan growing up? I've seen a few of his movies. Did you ever see AWOL, Absent Without Leave? Um, it's also called Lionheart as well, it's called. I think I've just seen the blood sports. Right. Anyway, he fights this big guy at the end. Uh, basically, he leaves the uh, army to support his, his... His brother's died, so he goes over to support his uh, brother's family. And uh, to get money, he fights. And he fights this guy at the end, and he's a spitting image of Meng, uh, Meng at the end oh, of this yeah. movie. And I couldn't help but think of that guy in Bloodsport. <laughs> Meng, yeah, he does look like an 80s, 90s villain. Yeah. He had a cool look, though, I must say. Oh, he looked awesome. <laughs> when I see him, I associate him with his 2001 tag team with Rikishi. So. Oh, that was a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. But after that, we have uh, so the scheduled match was a U.S. title match: uh, Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat. I was exci- uh, I was excited when that got announced. <laughs> have you seen their match at Bash at the Beach? Yeah, I, I, um, I actually did because uh, on WWE 2K16 they done the Stone Cold right. uh, yeah. career thing, and yep. uh, and you play that match, and I, and I went back and watched it, and it was a really good match. So. I, did, yeah. I when this got announced, I thought, "Oh, awesome! I like Steamboat and I love Austin. This should be good." And then I'll let you carry on and explain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they had their match at Bash at the Beach, where Steve Austin won. 
Um, but then I guess at Clash of the Champions a few weeks after that, Ricky Steam they had a rematch and Ricky Steamboat won the title from Austin. Yeah. But in that match, Ricky Steamboat suffered a back injury that would pretty much end his career. Yeah. Yeah, which is very unfortunate. But um, yeah, here at Fall Brawl, he comes out and obviously he can't compete because of the injuries. So he basically has to um, give away the title, but he doesn't vacate it. He, he comes out to the ring. Nick Bockwinkle's out there. He's like the commissioner. He brings out Steamboat. Steamboat has a title. And then Nick Bockwinkle basically tells Steamboat that he has to relinquish the title and that he's given the title to Steve Austin. So Steve Austin is now the champion. Yep. And first of all, I just love... It's always fun watching Steve Austin in his early stages. But I, I love how like cartoonishly... like Yeah. And, Austin was. He was, he was so good. I was watching it and you could see, because later on when he'd done interview, you know, when he'd done promos for like Vince McMahon, he would try mm. and fuck up, uh, fuck with like uh, McMahon's jacket and things like that. Yeah. And obviously we've got hindsight, but when you're watching it, you can see them little mannerisms in there. And yeah, it, it, it was so funny in cartoon. And she was like, where, where, where? Oh, you have to leave. And right. He was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he uh, he gets the title. He's, he's celebrating, like you said, he's doing you know, the hand, the fist to the eye crying thing at Steamboat. He's jumping all over the ring. He like he just won the the Super Bowl or uh, whatever the cricket title is, you know, for you British people there. Um, and Dashes. Dashes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Bachwinkle informs Austin that while he is the champion, he's still going going to be defending it tonight against. Hexall Jim Duggan. When the theme hit, do, 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 I was like, no, please, no. And then, and and then I'm going from here. I thought, no, this isn't the match, is it? No, this can't be the one. And <laughs> and well, you can't even call it a match. And when it happened, I was like, oh fuck, it is. <laughs> You're like, oh, is it the Patriot? Is it uh, is it Mister America? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nope. Yeah, people were expecting Austin versus Steamboat, but they get Austin versus 1994 Jim Duggan, which is, uh, man. And then the match happens, if you can call it that. So the bell rings. Austin's still, like, yelling at Bachwinkle, like, no, you can't make me. Or I can't do a Stone Cold. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's still jumping around the ring. He's, he's upset. And then he's all flustered, and then the bell rings. And then Jim Duggan, he's like a kind of like a backdrop or like a some sort of tackle. Yeah. Nails Austin, pins him within like five seconds. Yeah. And Austin loses the title and Hacksaw Jim Duggan is your WCW US champion. Yeah. Uh, my reaction was fucking bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was kind of, I, I wasn't really pumped to see a long match between those two anyways. So I was like, well, it's whatever. It's, it, it's crazy. And don't get me wrong. I like Hacksaw. Okay. We all grew up with Hacksaw yeah. and that, but this is 1994 Hacksaw and, and I, Hacksaw's always looked old. And I'm thinking, how old was he? And I looked, uh, so, uh, you know, I've done some research for your podcast. I did. And, uh, <laughs> Jim Duggan, believe it or not, he was only 40. I thought he was older. But Austin's like 29, 30-year-old. And I'm like, this and, 
like you, this is what I this was like Hogan bringing his best friends, bringing in you know the, we'll see him like on the Nasty Boys, uh, bringing in Jim Duggan, and you've got Steve Austin who's been doing really well in WCW before this, uh, you know Hollywood Blondes uh, matches with Dustin Rhodes at Starcade, two out of three falls matches, uh, do, the War Games the year before, and in the um, the uh, Dangerous Alliance, he's been doing really good. And you let Hacksaw go over him, and it's like, why? Just can someone like I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Got a pop from the crowd, but Americans, you know, if you just chant USA, you just go mental over it. So, it, you know, I I could go over there and chant USA, and you'd all support me. You uh-huh. just you just patriotic. So, so he got a pop from the crowd, but man, like. Eric Bischoff was in control during these days, I think. I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, he was. And, and I like Bischoff, right? But let's be honest, he had one good idea with the NWO. Besides that, what did he do? And this is Eric Bischoff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Because, you know, especially considering, you know, Austin, I think him and Duggan had a feud after this. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty much it for Austin yeah. and WCW. I think he got injured at some point. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, you got released during that rehab and all that stuff. So this is pretty much, for all intents and purposes, this is the end of stunning Steve Austin here in WCW. Yeah, and within four years, uh, yeah, in, in pretty much four years' time, he'll become the biggest superstar on the planet. <laughs> so crazy. <Man. laughs> yeah, watching this back with hindsight, you have Mick Foley just getting shit-canned for no reason. Yeah. You got Austin getting buried. If only they knew. If I only mean- they knew. Even if they never used them, even if they just kept them under contract, you know what I mean? And WWE, yep. I mean, who would take, like, a funny, when I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, if they never had Austin, I thought, and I was thinking to myself, thinking, who would have took Austin's place? And the only person who they was building up as the next babyface was probably Ken Shamrock, but he could never do what Austin done. So even if they just kept Austin under contract, like, you know, just keep him away from WWE, but wow. the world. Yeah, it's just like wow, like they didn't really like. No wonder they, no wonder they went out of business. End of the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously we have the benefit of hindsight. But yeah, if you if WWE doesn't have Austin in the late '90s, for one, they don't have him. You know, The Rock probably doesn't get over as much as he did. Yeah, uh, you know, but everyone that Austin built up with him, you wouldn't have that. You obviously wouldn't have the Austin McMahon rivalry. It would have changed the course of everything. Like you said, even if they, because that's kind of what he did when he went to ECW after this, is yeah. he, he was injured, but he just cut promos and he cut yeah. great promos. So he could have done something similar in WCW, I think, but I don't even know if they knew his potential on the mic at this point. No, um, it's just crazy to think of when you think about like they didn't realize what they had. And even like we mentioned him earlier, John Paul Levesque, they let him go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but speaking of guys that would go on to blossom into huge stars, we got some buff Bagwell next. Yay. <laughs> we have uh, the team of stars and stripes versus pretty wonderful stars and stripes is uh, Marcus Bagwell and the Patriot versus pretty wonderful. Who is Paul Orndorff and Paul Roma. So first of all, it's hilarious seeing a young buff Bagwell here. He's not that much different, um, yeah. just much facial hair, but that for some reason just changes his whole look. 
And um, I was well, I was going into this match because the previous pay-per-view I watched, Bash at the Beach, Pretty Wonderful was in a tag match against um, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan for right. the title. And that was one of the worst matches I've ever seen. <laughs> so I was like, man, is are Paul Orndorff and Pretty or uh, and uh, Paul Roma are they just a shitty team or are they you know wrong place wrong time kind of thing? Yeah. But I, I honestly I enjoyed this match quite a bit. Yeah, like um, I like Paul Orndorff. Like uh, obviously he was at the beginning of Hulkamania and uh, had a really good feud with Hulk Hogan, like a great steel cage match. Uh, so like I've always been a fa- obviously this is quite a bit after his heyday, but um, I enjoyed him like during this match. And uh, Paul Roma, like, uh, funny enough, I've just finished reviewing, um, what did I just review? Um, SummerSlam 91, and that was actually his last match in WWE. And uh, like, I always thought like he, like he was a sound wrestler. Obviously he's gone on to become the worst Force Horseman member, which I dispute. <laughs> I, I personally think it's Mongo McMichael, but that's a debate for another day. Um, not Virgil. Virgil was Virgil in the Four Horsemen. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm thinking of the NWO. Oh right. <laughs> oh no, definitely would be Virgil. Oh, can you imagine? Fer- I, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't could doubt you, it though. Could you imagine Virgil's a Four Horsemen? <laughs> hey, it's never too late. <laughs> but um, well, AEW might bring it back, and he might be in it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, they was actually a pretty sound tag team, and. Uh, Marcus Bagwell, Buff Bagwell. I like Buff, Buff Bagwell back in like night the Nitro days. I, I enjoy Buff Bagwell and uh, the Patriot. Um, he didn't have a bad little run in WWE in '97. Uh, had a few matches of Brett. So uh, and yeah, it was actually a pretty good match. What? Well, I say that because when I started watching it last night, it was pretty late and I actually fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> good but, time. But I watched the second half of the pay per view today and I watched it and. Uh, it was actually a good match, so I was actually pleasantly surprised um, by it. Yeah, a pretty uh, you know a simple formula of a tag team match, but uh, really executed well. Um, we got four legitimate athletes in there, which is kind of a uh, <laughs> differentiates themselves from a lot of the other people on this card. Um, they all looked great, and they were able to move around. Uh, a lot of good spots here. <laughs> There's a part where Backwell's on the outside, and Orndorff just takes the uh, it's like a case full of ice and dumps it on him yeah just for no reason just to be an asshole um and then back in the ring you have patriot and roma going at it patriot hits a uh, a full nelson slam onto paul roma and he pins him but patriot isn't legal uh fucking uh bagwell is yeah but on the outside orndorff has uh bagwell and gives him a pile driver on the floor brutal looking and just rolls Bagwell into the ring. Roma pins him, just kind of rolls over and puts his arm over in him. And uh, yeah, that gets them one, two, three. Uh, pretty wonderful gets the win here and retain the tag team titles. So uh, yeah, good little match here. Um, did, did these did these teams kind of stick around for a while? I guess you weren't watching at the time, so maybe maybe you don't know. Uh, I think. Like, because uh, funny enough, like I was gonna make a video about Paul Roma. I didn't end up making it, but I actually, but I was actually looking to these matches, and uh, I know these carry on the feud probably to the next uh, cla- uh, Clash of Champions. But then, um, eventually, they just like split up afterwards. Yeah, yeah. As far as the tag division now in WCW, I, I'm just kind of biding time before Harlem Heat gets there. 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then after this, we have a triangle match. Not a triple threat match. A triangle match. It's uh, basically uh, another one. Then you get the uh, the promo with Dusty Rhodes and the Nasty Boys. Oh, was that was that after this? I, I didn't take any note of it, but please. Oh, no. Uh, it was just like... Brian, it was more babbling, wasn't it? Oh, Brian Knobs was just really coked up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my, my favorite thing was uh, Dusty Rhodes' T-shirt, Nasty Dream. And my question is, oh, when, yeah. when's the last time you had a Nasty Dream? <laughs> oh, you know, what time is it? <laughs> but uh yeah it was just basically a coked up promo by brian nobs and uh yeah it was quite fun <laughs> there was a lot of coked up people on this show paul roma i'm not to <laughs> revert back to paul roma but he was like just watching him made me like have a twitch oh did you see him after he hit that elbow drop and he was like really excited for that elbow drop he was like oh yeah <laughs> and he spent a good like 10 seconds to himself like smiling like a cheshire cat <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like he's getting electrocuted in the middle of the ring. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if we have a a number one contenders match, triple or uh, triangle match, to see who will face the world champion at Starcade, I believe. That's right. And uh, we have Vader versus Sting versus the Guardian Angel. And uh, for those who are unaware, the Guardian Angel is Big Boss Man. Yep. Another one of Hogan. Another one of Hogan's friends. Yep. And um, so this fucking drove me crazy here. So they had three people in this match, but the premise was that two people would start and whoever won the first match would face the third person. So it's essentially a gauntlet match. But the way they choose who gets to buy the fucking coin toss. So I, I didn't really pay that much attention to the coin toss. I'm, as I'm thinking now, I'm wondering how they did it with three people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually very confused. I'm going to need to rewatch that. But yeah, the ref flips the coin. He panics. He drops the coin. He has to like find it on the floor. Hilarious. Um, but Sting ends up receiving the buy. So that leaves Vader and Guardian Angel to face off. And basically the winner of that will face Sting. Yeah. Which is odd. You would think like the two baby faces would face each other and then the heel would like pick up the bones. I'm just surprised they um, had Vader basically start off and like carry on all the way through. I was actually uh, surprised by that and like a stamina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get into it. So him and Angel, um, they have like a seven minute match or so. Um, yeah. It's mostly Vader dominating. Um, but towards the end... Guardian Angel gets some offense in. He hits the boss man slam. But of course, because it's WCW, the ref is distracted. Um, I think he takes a bump at some point. Harley Race gets in, gives Guardian Angel a headbutt. And uh, yeah, then Vader hits the Vader bomb, pins Guardian Angel. And uh, yeah, so that pretty much eliminates boss man from this. And now we got Vader versus Sting. Uh, what do you what do you think of that first little bit? And uh, were you a fan of this Guardian Angel gimmick? Uh, not really. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I did enjoy, and this is one of my biggest gripe with managers these days. Like Harley Race, like he was a manager, and he actually was a manager, actually done stuff. Like he yeah. headbutted um, Bossman. Uh, I'll call him Bossman. Uh, he headbutted mm -hmm. Bossman. I think he does the same to Sting later on. I might be wrong. Um, 
But um, like he actually interfered on behalf. And when I see managers these days, they don't do anything. Like for example, when Tully Blanchard is a company in there, FTR, he doesn't do anything. And yeah. I'm like, what's the point of you being there? You you know, you was a you was a good wrestler back in the day, but you wasn't even the main member of the Horsemen. And same when um, I see like Jake Roberts with um, Lance Archer, which Jake Roberts is pretty damn old these days, or Arn Anderson, he doesn't really do much these days. So I actually miss the days where managers actually done something. Um, going yeah. a bit side topic, I, I, I just interviewed um, Ricardo Rodriguez, you know, who was Del Rio's announcer. Right. Yeah. And uh, when you look at his career, and we was talking about, like, he'd done a lot of bumps, uh, like, even off a fucking ladder at the TLC event. And that, that's what I miss, like, managers who actually do stuff instead of just, like, standing there and just take, trying to take something away from the talent. Yeah, because even, like, Sir William, at the beginning, there was a spot where he took his cane and, like, tried to give it to Regal for leverage on a pin at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, stuff like that. And it's interesting because Guardian Angel, that's more of like a, it's a very local, like New York thing in America. And right. it's funny because I, um, my Bash at the Beach review, I, my guest was from New York and it really resonated with him because the Guardian Angels were kind of like, not vigilantes, but kind of like a, a local like unit that was like, like uh, protecting people from crime. And um, yeah, I mean, people that grew up in New York in the early mid nineties, they probably associate the guardian angels with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if you're anywhere else in the country or beyond the United States, you probably have no, no emotional ties to what guardian angels are. So yeah. Never had a clue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that kind of seems like what the case was with you, but uh, so angels eliminated. So now we have Vader versus sting. So sting makes another entrance for some reason. I don't know why they even bothered doing that. Yeah, shit. that was weird. <laughs> um, and they go on Sting and Vader to have a really fucking good match. I think, <laughs> even though they seem to get gassed um, at some point, yeah. there are uh, a lot of cool spots. I mean, you forget how f- strong Sting was. He was just throwing Vader all over the place. Yeah, there was a point where he just hit like a, a standing suplex to Vader, and I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, because there's only so much he can help with that. Vader can. Yeah. Yeah, it's like standing suplexes, German suplexes. Um, you can you can really tell that they're calling this in the ring. Um, because it's there was kind of spots that were kind of just it didn't really flow well at certain points, but it was it was still entertaining to watch. Yeah, one of my favorite parts was uh, Bobby Heenan's because, uh, like you said. Sting is hitting suplexes, German suplexes, superplexes. He's hitting all these moves. And uh, Bobby Heenan's like, he's used everything. Next, he's going to need to use a sledgehammer. And all I kept thinking was that there was a uh, young John Paul Levesque in the background thinking, hmm, I like that idea. He's got to credit Bobby Heenan for that. Yeah. So they wrestle for like 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that brings the, uh, that was the time limit. But then that's, uh, there has to be a winner. So they go into a five-minute overtime, and they wrestle for five more minutes, gassed as hell, and then that five minutes elapses. So now they go to sudden death, and when they first announced that, I was like, "What the? F- what's the difference between sudden death and overtime?" Yeah. Very convoluted at first when I first heard it. But what sudden death was, and I think I actually might like it. 
um, it's the first person that gets knocked down loses. Which it kind it's kind of silly, but it's also while you're watching it, it's like really tense and really like dramatic. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And so they're in this sudden death. Vader is just clobbering, like, like potatoing the hell out of Sting with these like forearm shots. And Sting's not going down. He's up against the ropes. He's up against the corner. Sting fights back. He hits him with a couple shots. Ultimately, Sting is able to get Vader to get knocked down, knocks him out. But wouldn't you know it, the ref is distracted by a boss man who is he has been fucking 20 minutes since he lost. But I, he chose now to come out and attack Harley Race. Yeah. And so the ref is distracted. He's trying to get him out of there. So he doesn't see Vader fall. Vader ends up getting back up and is able to knock out Sting. But now the ref, lo and behold, is now watching the action. You see Sting get knocked down and awards Vader the victory here. Very, uh, very rough around the edges this match was, but really fun watch and definitely had some emotion to it, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, but when it started doing the overtime thing, there must be a winner. Like that at that point, it's like, oh man, why have they, you know, they should have just kept this just a straight match. And if they had to, because like people say, yeah, well, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels had overtime, but I'm thinking, well, that made sense because it was an Iron Man match. And yeah, exactly. they didn't expect it to be 0 0 at the end. But if there had to be a winner for this match, don't put a time limit on the match. Um, yeah. But it was fun. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I did write down. Did you notice that when Vader like pulled down the straps and like it was riding up his back, he looked like he was wearing like a really big thong. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. It's a it's a vision I didn't want in my head, but when I'm looking at him, like it looks like he's wearing a thong. <laughs> Maybe he was. What Vader do it to you, okay? <laughs> I, had, I kept having flashbacks to Samoa Joe's G-string and DNA. <laughs> he would watch. <laughs> It, it must be a thing wrestlers wear, but he was like, wrestling the match and like this G-string was riding up his ass. I, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to see Angelina Love and Velvet Sky, not Samoa Joe. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's just you, okay? People have different preferences. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was a good match. And like um, Sting, when I'm watching Sting, I couldn't help but think of John Cena because you can tell there was a similar sort of style, like these big, strong guys who would take a beating. Yeah. But come and hit these power moves. I couldn't help but think of John Cena watching this match, but I love Sting. Uh, like, I've always been a big fan of Sting, so I enjoyed watching him. And uh, Vader's was so great as well. Like, he got gassed, but then again, he wrestled two matches back-to-back, so, you know, I'll give him the benefit of a doubt. But, uh, yeah, it was a good match. And, uh, yeah, like, I, I didn't appreciate the um, stuff at the end with the overtime and stuff, but it still didn't take too much away from the match. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Guardian Angel's presence was a bit unnecessary. It could have just been a straight one-on-one match, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't have the issue of Vader being so gassed at the end, but still a fun watch at the end of it. Um, but after that, is we get that promo that we talked about with Hogan and Flair. Crowd boos Hogan. People hate Hogan. Yeah. And we move on from that. Um, then we get to the main event, War Games. So this... War so, games. War games. Yeah, that's a very good accent. <laughs> so I practice it every morning. That's yeah. how I get 
Okay. <laughs> so this is like the first original quote unquote war games match I've ever seen. Oh, actually, right. because the only ones I've seen are the NXT ones. Right. So it's kind of cool um, to see the origins of it, even though it's several years after it was originated. Um, but the build up here. So the basic premise is we have Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys versus Bunkhouse Buck, Terry Funk, Arn Anderson, and Colonel Parker, the stud stable. So I guess the origins of this storyline is that Dustin Rhodes and Bunkhouse Buck had an issue. Bunkhouse Buck was uh, managed by Colonel Parker, and I guess still is at this point. So they had an issue. They had a few matches at pay-per-views, Bunkhouse matches, uh, you know, bull rope matches and all that shit. And then eventually, because Bunkhouse Buck is kind of coming out on the losing end of all these matches, he recruits Terry Funk, basically, yeah. to help him out. I don't really know why Terry Funk is in this, like what his motivations are for this, other than he's just a crazy old man. Um, so, and then, so you got Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk together. Arn Anderson comes into the picture as a result of the last pay-per-view. So Dustin Rhodes basically recruited Arn Anderson to be his tag team partner to face Bunk, Buckhouse Buck, and Terry Funk. Right. And to the surprise of no one, Arn Anderson turned on Dustin Rhodes and joined the stud stable. So now we have the stud stable is established. Dustin Rhodes gets his dad to get back into the fold. There's a great promo on, I think, WCW Saturday night. It's like a really famous promo that I need to probably go back and watch, but they showed some highlights on this show. Yeah, it was quite good. I remember it. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know where the nasty boys come into the picture, but I'm not going <laughs> to ask any questions. I'm just going to accept it. So well, my favorite part, I don't know if it was in the bar or something. And it's like, uh, Dusty, I don't know you're nasty enough. Nasty enough. And they start beating up these random patrons in the bar. I think it was a bar. <laughs> but during this whole time, there was one guy behind Dusty and he was sat down in a lounge uh, chair and he was so relaxed and he was like, he just didn't give a shit what was happening around him. <laughs> right. Poor Dusty. But, so yeah, the build was really good. It's, uh, yeah, it's been building for uh, several months and that that's where we have uh, War Games now is kind of how they're going to culminate this whole thing, even though I think it continues after this, but we'll ignore that. Yeah. So, again... Another coin toss <laughs> to see who has the advantage in this match. You know, if you see modern day war games matches, they're usually determined, at least the past couple of years, they've been determined by ladder matches yeah. on TV shows leading up to this. But here is just that oh, we're going to flip a coin and fuck you. We'll see. And uh, they fucked up doing that as well. Paul Peewee, he dropped it. <laughs> yeah, these, these refs just don't know how to flip coins. Oh, Nick Patrick, I forgot to mention it, but during that Sting match, he can't fucking count. You know, like, do we, I don't know if I'm so conditioned to WWE, but you get the big arms. One, two. I, he's, he's tapping, he's like, one, two. <laughs> I, I tweeted out, as I was watching this match, something about I hate Nick Patrick's shitty cadence. Yeah. Honestly, that was a result of me watching that match. It's very, like you said, very just light. He just picked you. He's like, tilts his wrist instead of his whole arm yeah <laughs> very quiet very you know kind of clumsy yeah and he, he even did that to an extent in wwe when he was there several years later yeah i tell you what i, I tell you what i do like though with the old school um war games matches 
I love the rules. Like, instead of pins, it's just like submit or surrender. I think that's such a better stipulation for war games. Yeah. Uh, that is cool. I didn't even really think about that. But yeah, that is a. Because that makes sense <laughs> with the theme yeah, of it, right? Like, because anyone can get a pin on, really, even if it's just like a little, like, quick pin, you know, in kayfabe, uh, mm-hmm. like a roll up or something. But to make someone submit or say surrender, that's like. The ultimate victory, really. I don't. I think this is me going back to uh, Bloodsport with Akumate. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he, he made uh, Tung Po. What's the name of the guy he fights at the end? It's not Tung Po, is it? It's a Tung Po. I forgot. Oh, no, it's been a while. I forget. Tung- anyway, uh, he's, he's like he makes him give up, and that was like the ultimate sign of like victory. And mm-hmm. I like I like that's how it was for war games. Like you know, you can only lose the match by saying submit or surrender, and. Uh, something I would like to see brought back today, actually. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. That really, you know, like I said, it fits the theme of the match and it makes it seem, it makes it different than just another cage match. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the match itself, first of all, it seemed pretty short because you, you brought up earlier. It was. When we were talking about the Hogan promo, you were like looking at the minutes like, okay, we're going to have an hour long War Games match. And that's kind of what I was expecting because that's what we've seen in NXT recently. Yeah. But, it was like two minute interval, two minute intervals between people getting in the ring. So I guess that sped it up. I think the whole match was it was probably less than twenty minutes. Yeah, like um, like five minutes for the opening two, and like two minutes each. And by the time like we'll get to it, Dusty comes in. It wasn't long till it was finished. Which like for the people, what was in the ring, like the nasty boys and that, I didn't mind because. You know, and uh, we'll get to it. But when I watch a war games match these days, they are, they're good, but they do seem to drag on a bit too long. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's there's only so many like one hour matches I can watch before I get bored. <laughs> I I absolutely agree. I was actually dreading this match a little bit because, like you said, yeah, <laughs> so long, and you can only hold your attention for so long, especially given the people in this match. Like, how long am I gonna watch fucking Bunkhouse Buck punch people? Yeah. You know? When they started off with Dustin and Ann Anderson, I'm like, okay, we're okay, we're okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but man, yeah. So the match, I mean, I could, I could go bet beat for beat in this match, but it was just utter chaos yeah. throughout the whole thing. My favorite part of it was Terry Funk. Yeah, Personally, he just comes in like a madman. He's like either the second or third guy for the heels that gets in there. He uh, he takes his boot off for some reason. He walks in with one boot. He's swinging it in the air. He's hitting people with it. Um, he's in jeans. He's not even in wrestling tights. And <laughs> at some point, he gets pile-driven by by Sags. That's right. Boys. Yeah. He gets pile-driven in the middle of, like, in between the two rings. And, you know, like, how nowadays they'll have, like, a little grate in That's between right. the rings. But now, yeah. like, here they just had, like, a gap. And Funk gets pile-driven, like, through the gap and is just, like, on the floor. <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> you could tell he was having fun out there but yeah otherwise just a lot of chaos a lot of grinding against the cage you know that kind of stuff entertaining and i'm all you know in hindsight i'm kind of glad it didn't last too much longer than it did yeah um, it felt right to me but this whole match is basically all building to colonel parker getting his comeuppance that's right. He's essentially the manager, the leader of the stud stable. He's not really a wrestler. Um, some people might associate him with Jeff Jarrett's <laughs> manager in WWF <laughs> a few years. But um, so I knew when, when I when I knew Fall Brawl 1994 was coming up in my timeline, 
I looked at the card and I knew nothing about anything that happened. However, the one thing I knew about this show was that Colonel Parker shits his pants in this match. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I think they did a good job at hiding it. Or I guess maybe Colonel Parker was just on the ground the whole time. Yeah. At some point, he just diarrheas in his white pants. Well, I I heard about it, but I didn't see it myself. (laughs) I was disappointed. I was expecting just a a brown stain in the ring or something. (laughs) But um, it it could have been the ending segment that did it because the finish comes with, as you said, Dusty's. He's the last one that gets in the ring. Bionic elbows for everybody. He's just laying everybody out, moving even at this stage in his career. He's moving around really quickly. Um, and then locks in the figure four onto Colonel Parker. And as you said, someone has to surrender. So as Parker is in this figure four, the nasty boys are both alternating elbow drops and splashes onto Parker. Really, really good stuff. Really like high energy. Like the crowd was loving it. Um, it just, it was a really good build to that moment. And that's ultimately where Colonel Parker surrenders for his team. And the uh, the old Rhodes boys and the Nasty boys win the match, and uh, yeah, man, I, I think it, it. I want I keep wanting to say that pretty much ends the rivalry, but I don't even think it does. Um, but yeah, pretty entertaining match for what it was. What did you think? Yeah, like uh, so. Yeah, when I saw it was the Nasty boys, like you know, it's fair in the West, and I like I like the Nasty boys, but you know, they're not Steamboat and Austin. <laughs> yeah. But, but, like and um, when I was seeing the timer, and I was thinking, oh, right, and th- 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 and this match actually ended, and there was still ten minutes of the pay per view left, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was actually surprised how quick it ended. But it was a short and sweet match because I remember watching the War Games the year beforehand, and that's just like a bloodbath, uh, which I yeah. recommend to anyone who watched it. And uh, I actually spoke to Nikita Koloff about that match, and he was like, "Yeah, it was pretty bad, James." Really? Uh, yeah, he was a great guy, by the way. But we spoke about that match. And um, yeah, um, but watching this one, like, there were some good spots, like uh, you know, raking uh, the fa- the faces towards the uh, cage sides and that, and uh, like the fact that Haku was out there and he was trying to get into the cage one way or another, and uh, it it was a good match to be honest. I was actually su- I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I'm not saying it's a five star classic or anything like that by any means, and does it hold up to the stuff they do today? Probably not. But it was a short and sweet match, and it never dragged. That was the one thing. It's right. It never dragged. It got the job done. You knew who was taking the fall during this match. You was just waiting to see how it would. And, you know, they locked in the figure four. He was probably in there for, like, 30 seconds and before he surrendered, which is different to what you see today. I watched the last War Games match. I enjoyed it. But all of them would be in submission hoods for, like, five minutes, and they still don't submit, and it just pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, those like you said, those hour-long war games matches, they have to bust out so many different spots that it's it's a certain point it's just like, okay. And I missed over. And I missed the roof on the cage. Uh, was there was there a roof? Yeah, yeah, there was there was always a roof on the uh, WCW uh, war games matches and it was it's quite a it's quite a low roof as well. But I I missed the roof. Now I know why they have it these days cuz uh, people likes to jump off which, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> can't have a match without jumping off the top. But um, I actually miss uh, the roof, uh, so it was nice to see the roof back on the cage as well. Yeah, it definitely gave it a sense of, like, caged animals 
fighting yeah. it. That's why I hate I hate the the modern Hell in a Cell. Oh there yeah, a, they made they made it bigger. I'm, I'm not even gonna touch the fuck the red color of it, but they just <laughs> made it bigger, and so it's just like you're wrestling in a ring that just happens to be surrounded by a cage, basically. Yeah. Yeah, like I like this cage. Like it's actually at the edge of the ring, so when you throw someone into the ropes, they're hitting the cage at the same time, uh, instead of having a big six foot gap between the cage and the ring. Yeah, and plus it's nineteen ninety four, so you you gotta question the how how safe this cage is and how yeah. well put together it is. It's always fun when you're watching a match and you could basically believe that the cage can collapse at any minute. It's uh yeah um. But yeah, like I said, just I was pleasantly surprised by this match, so I actually enjoyed it. And I love at the end where <laughs> even though we're supposed to believe this was just a big violent match, Dustin Rhodes' theme's playing out, and all of a sudden you hear, they call him a natural. <laughs> it was just like completely like different to what we've just seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was good stuff. Um, and nobody would have even known that Colonel Parker shit his pants, but you hear good old Bobby Heenan. <laughs> as they're carrying him out. Oh, I think oh, I forget what exactly he says, but oh, I think he had an accident. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but yeah, it pretty much brings the show to a close. Uh, as far as you know, Fall Brawl '94. If you had to give it a rating out of ten, what do you think you'd give it? Um, some good, like Regal and uh, John B. Bad was good. Uh, tag team match was okay. Uh, Sting match. It was good for the most part, but then towards the end, it changed it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, War Games match, uh, I'll probably just say it's in the middle. But I would give it like a 5 out of 10. I would say it was just bang in the middle. Like, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't like, be, I wouldn't be like, oh, I definitely watch this match, but uh, watch the show. But at the same time, I wouldn't be like, oh, avoid like the plague. I would, I would yeah. be like, yeah, just when you've got some free time and you want to watch something a bit different, give this a watch. Yeah, I'd probably give it more of like a seven because, you know, while there, you know, if you look at it too analytically, you could probably find some holes in there, which is, you know, to be expected. But like, if you're just watching it to watch it, it is a fun show to watch. And at no point does it really drag, in my opinion, like the shitty stuff, they made it short. And uh, yeah, and the Hogan promo and all that stuff. It was a lot of dumb fun, I think. Yeah, it was. uh, Yeah, it was good for what it was. uh... So yeah, I was uh, um, for someone who hasn't watched this era of WCW before. Uh, like I've had like results and things like that, but to actually watch it, it was a it was a pleasant surprise for me. And like you know, if there was if this kind of content was on every week on te- on TV, I would sit down and watch it. Like compared to a lot of the stuff I try to avoid these days. Yeah, exactly. But uh, for anybody listening, if you enjoy these kind of 90s reviews, you will surely enjoy James and his That 90s Wrestling Podcast. Uh, tell everybody about uh, what you're doing over there. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, great time. And uh, yeah, we've uh, brought back the pay-per-view reviews, uh, but it's it's a monthly special now. And we're basically uh, just going in order from WrestleMania 6, which was the first WWE pay-per-view of the 90s. Where can I wait forward? I've just released uh, SummerSlam '91, which I enjoyed because it was one of my favorite shows as a child. So next interview, uh, next uh, episode coming out uh, next month will be uh, Survivor Series. But the main uh, bread and butter of the show, I suppose, is the uh, interviews. And uh, yeah, uh, it's took off since the last time we spoke. Uh, I've done, yeah. quite, I've done quite a few now. Uh, 
Well, yeah, it's, it's really like we mentioned, like I got the email from Nick Aldis uh, when we done it and like spoke to him and it's still one of my favorite interviews. Uh, and in that time, like spoke to more Impact Wrestling talent, funny enough, like Diana Perrazzo, Eric Young and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. um, I've just spoke to ex-WWE stars like JTG from Crime Time, uh, Elijah Bearkind on, on the show, um, Trevor Murdoch. Uh, Connor from the Ascension was a really good interview, and I've just released a video where I shared like a really funny story about Vince McMahon, about yeah. a rat, rat gimmick, and um, I'm released this week. I'll be releasing Doug Williams, and uh, I've just <laughs> I just mentioned I've just actually got an email from AEW, so I might be getting something with them soon. Oh um, yeah. At the minute, I'm keeping it top secret, but I'm working on something top secret, and if it happens, it'll literally be a dream come true. So. Oh. Scoop, no scoop on the apron bump. Uh, possibly. <laughs> oh no, I'll tell you. Hopefully, it's happened by then. But hopefully, I might be having some sort of a deal with WWE. <laughs> oh really? That's awesome, man. Yeah, it'll be a dream come true for me. Um, like basically, having permission to interview their stars and like them saying to me, like, if you want, uh, do you want to speak to this guy or this girl this week? And uh, yeah, I, I, I've, just, I've just started working on it. It's uh, early days yet, but um, hopefully, fingers crossed. That's that's me uh, hashtag at the minute. Fingers crossed, and uh, yeah, and if uh, you know, <laughs> Mandy Rose comes on the show, I'll be pretty excited. <laughs> hey, that's your in, man. You know, you get her for an interview, you get her number, and then it's on from there. Oh, if I wasn't married, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, she doesn't need to know everything, right? <laughs> but yeah man thanks again for coming on and it's been a while you're i think you were actually like my second guest i ever had on here yeah i thought it was pretty early on yeah yeah so definitely we'll have you on here again um everybody go check out james and his podcast and uh yeah man thanks again for coming on cool thanks very much once again thank you to james from that 90s wrestling podcast once again find him on youtube or whatever podcast platform that you uh subscribe to and uh yep all of his info in the description below really loved having him on he was one of my uh as we mentioned one of my first guests so it was fun to uh bring him back after some time had passed and uh yeah if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast if you're a first time listener please do me a favor and subscribe uh, it'd be awesome if you could also leave a rating, review. Um, only good ones, though. If you don't like me, then go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, subscribe. We have some good stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So next Wednesday, we have Ring of Honor. Honor invades Boston 2002. That'll be their first ever event outside of that, that Philly arena that they've been <laughs> doing in, like, in that basketball court. Um, And after that, we have a debut on this podcast. We have ECW, November to Remember, 1994, their first ever uh, event, big-time event at least, under the Extreme Championship Wrestling banner. Uh, Then the week after that, we got Halloween Havoc. So we're back to WCW after that to kind of follow up on everything that happened in this episode. We got a progress, progress wrestling chapter ten. After that, keeping on rolling, everybody. We got lots of variety here, and I am 
hella enjoying it. So thank you guys so much for all the support that you've given this podcast. Really means a lot. Check me out on apronbump.com. Follow all my social medias in the description. Kiss your mom on the lips. That's all I got for you. Thank you guys once again for listening. I'm hard.